this talk, artist Bob Gelsop discusses his practice, residency and his interest in rhizomes, recorded in November 2015. So I've been growing spider plants for about two years and originally it started as, I got one as a gift I think, and so I just started sort of propagating them and sort of thinking if I could use them at all and then thought that they were quite a nice metaphor actually for artist-led activity in a ways. In the way that a spider plant, once it sort of becomes big enough, you'll get little offshoots coming off like on this one. So we get little plantlets and obviously once they get big enough, you clip them off, put them in water and then you get these little plantlets and it makes Christmas really easy because you just give everyone one of those. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so I've started growing these and not really sure where it's going, but I quite like having all these spider plants around. It's, um, it's a nice thing to um, just sort of have outside of art in a way. Just something that's not too, not too precious and you can kind of just, like, they're, the, they're the easiest house plant to grow. You, everybody seems to have one in the 90s and they've just got a nice kind of quality to them. They're um, also air filters. They naturally filter carbon monoxide out. So yeah, so once I've planted these, then I'll hopefully have a brand new one in about a month, two months. So I thought before I say anything about the work that I've been making on residency, I'll just say a little bit about some of the past works I've made, sort of, so where they've come from and um, yeah, just sort of what they are. So this was a documentation from a performance I made in 2013. Um, I made it on Davida's performance art course. It was really good actually, because I, I studied painting but ended up being more interested in performance or performing. And so it was kind of a good way just to get a bit more kind of tutor time in really. So it, was, it started off as a writing workshop and it was just a way for, for us to start sort of thinking about how to make performance. So how do you even start any sort of action? So we, we were writing sort of constantly for about... 10 minutes and she said just don't think just keep writing keep writing and then finish select a few words so pick like a noun an adjective and a verb and then create a sentence out of that um, and then you had five minutes sort of to think about that or plan something out and then perform that act, perform that sentence or that action so I ended up having the sentence I am borders concentrate on thinking so it was, it was just something sort of completely loose and the, the performance was, um, I performed it at chapter but I didn't record it but I quite liked what I'd done so I decided to record it afterwards and basically I just took my fake tooth out and tried to say she sells seashells by the seashore which is impossible with my tooth out because I just have a massive lisp when, um, when I take my tooth out. And then the, the, the next week was uh, performing to cameras so there was a visiting artist whose name I can't remember and she was kind of talking to us about the difference of uh, performing and then performing to camera. So this is where I started using uh, Solowitz's Letter to Eva Hess. And I just recorded that in the basement in a gallery in Cardiff and just kept it completely black because I didn't want my face to be attached to the words because they obviously weren't mine. But that was kind of where I first started with this, this letter, which has got, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a brilliant letter. So it's, um, it was written in 1965 to Solowit in response to Eva Hess having a time of kind of difficulty and frustration during a residency in Germany. And there's some, there's some great kind of quotes in it, like, um, so learn to say F you to the world every once in a while, you have every right to. Don't worry about cool, make your own uncool. 
you are not responsible for the world, you're only responsible for your art and yourself. And sort of thinking about them beyond motivational slogans, it's, um, as a whole, it's, it, was in, it was intended as a private method of communication, and I'm kind of more interested in turning that into a statement, as it were. Sort of so in, instead, of, instead of something conversational, it becomes something quite, uh, quite aggressive in a way to try and instill faith or something to maybe motivate or something like that. So, it, so it, you know, thinking about it more as a, as a statement. And then um, sort of I've, I've re-performed Address in uh, last well, 2014. And instead of just reading it out as normal, I kind of screamed it out as, at the top of my lungs, like really screaming my guts out. Completely unrehearsed, unprepared, very much in the way. So, because this was sort of not too long after Kim died, so it it was kind of channeling that thing around grief that you you can't prepare, you don't, you're not ready for it. It, it kind of just happens, and then you then you react, and then you begin a, a grief process. So with with this, by this time in the year, I've kind of I've been looking at this the Solowitz texts up and down, thinking about it, reading it, sort of rewriting it. And I kind of got a bit jaded with it, so I began to look at the kind of the physicality of, of the words themselves, which is why I was screaming them out at the top of my lungs. So I kind of just recited them, and then kind of I'm interested in sort of re-exploring that later on in in the residency. So so then, well, earlier in the year of 2014, so I got a, I got the Unite residency as well, and I just began sort of just taking apart my practice and realising, thinking that everything that I put into a space have to ha- has to have a meaning and purpose. I can't just kind of put things in because that's what I've been trained in. I can't just because I've been a painter doesn't mean that I can... Putting paintings in a space or then thinking about them or just putting objects in a space and just deciding that they look nice, they kind of had to have some sort of conceptual weight to me for them to be sort of valid as, as objects. Um, so, yeah, so these, these are just some shots, so... This was sort of the end installation. There was, there was, it, it kind of went through loads of different stages, but ended up looking like this, which was sort of a collection of different sort of works rather than a finished whole installation. I quite like them just as individual pieces, um, except for the glass works. I didn't really like those. And then this was probably my favourite uh, piece from the, the, well, everything that I did in that, because it was this, it was very small, very simple, but very concise and. It kind of just, it just accomplished everything that I'd been feeling and thinking about at the time. And so yeah, so it's just a an axe mark in a into the wood with a small piece of electrical tape put on it, and the piece is called "Healing the Site of Leakage." And then again, because this was like the week after Kim died, um, so I was, I was tremendously upset and angry and all sorts of things. So it, it's kind of just that quick, like that quick um, reaction and then you kind of begin a process of uh, he- or trying to heal but obviously you know you don't heal you just kind of cover it up and get on with it so then later on in the year as well I got a, a curatorial commission with Cardiff Contemporary and with that I was in tr- instead of creating a conversation I was more interested in e- everybody else's conversation so as a kind of a platform for you know, maybe catalysts in my work, in other people's work, something like that. So it was, it was kind of more of a, a place for other people. So the, the premise for it was is that I commissioned four artists, and then they in turn commissioned or selected another, four, another artist each. So it ended up being eight, eight artists in the show. And then uh, people like, so like Jim, for example, he he just picked another artist to work with. So he picked Steve Rainker. 
he said, I, I want to show his disambiguation piece, which was great. And then other people, so like Sarah Reese worked with Richard Gravel, but part of the same installation. So it was interesting to see how collaboration works and then or how it doesn't work in some cases and how some people um, sort, of, sort of draw it in. But then I quite like the idea of kind of just having a, a catalyst for conversation as, a, as an exhibition. It kind of didn't really need to have a kind of like massive didactic curatorial drive. It didn't need to be referencing Foucault or, or you know, any theory or anything like that. It could just champion a conversation in a pub o over the theory or on the same level as you know, any sort of theory or anything like that. It was something very sort of off the cuff. Um, so yeah, Bit uh, Studios closed about a week before I started this residency, and it was kind of a really big part of my my practice for about three years because I obviously was with the other two directors was administrating and facilitating this studio complex, and we did artist talks, exhibitions, uh, events, parties, all these types of things, and that all kind of fed into my practice because I, I, that's what I was doing sort of every day and that's what was taking up the most of my time. So I was starting to think a lot about the role of the studio in my practice and what studio practice can be and kind of understanding the, the bits of ephemera, the fallout of studio practice, just sort of mining that and to see what, what interest that is to me. So then coming into this residency, so we started off with Bring Your Own Beamer video f night and I've, I've worked with the video f boys before because as, again as part of bit studios we ran bring your own beamer nights every year and really enjoyed it it was just a really nice simple straightforward way to work with other artists in a, a very kind of open and democratic way i mean for bring your own beamer anyone can show anything they want for as long as they want they don't need to stay the whole night you can project over other people's work it's really open so with this we had a few videos sort of shown all over the space and then so video they they kind of like an online equivalent of be of bring your own beamer so they do essentially they have the same kind of ethics as bring your own beamer but they do it in an online domain and they're interested in having a completely tactile assault like audiovisual assault but then using the internet as a kind of editing process and where people can chime in and add things to it and you know authorship is really fluid and they work really brilliantly with it Ah, yeah, and then the dartboard. So, as, as my partner Sarah, she said, Oh, how's the residency going one day? And I said, Well, it's all right, I'm having a bit of trouble getting it going. She was like, Oh, have you still got that dartboard? I said, Yeah. She's so like, Well, why don't you just decide what to do on based on the dartboard? And I was like, That's, that's quite good, that. So, the, the dartboard was quite nice. So, because my, my studio practice had been completely transplanted to this place, and it, it, I didn't have the weight of of uh, a studio complex behind me. I didn't have that kind of safety net, as it were, maybe. So I set up a artist-led darts game. So it's kind of got, so, in, so one to 20, it's got all different attributes of artist-led activities. So there's like critical writing review, uh, national co collaboration, arts at the Venice Biennale, like discussion group, breakfast club, whatever, all, like, all, all sorts of things that generally, um, not as a prescriptive thing, but generally artist-leds tend to do and tend to do really, really well. So it's just a nice way to try and imagine different organisations or artist-led activity that might happen, but then again, might not. But it's quite nice having that, this could happen, and that, that's kind of serving maybe as a catalyst for that through chance. So yeah, so then um, evolving from the, um, the practice piece that was the first slide, so I kind of think of it as a part of a series of works and they're all looking at the kind of humorous fact that at 24 I've got dentures. 
in a lot of ways, it's me thinking about, well, so I got beaten up in Blackpool and ended up needing dentures. I know who did it. The police know who did it, but he couldn't be prosecuted. And I, I was 16 and just felt this complete failure of society, the fact that he wasn't sort of brought to justice or whatever. So in a lot of ways, these kind of works, they're just, they're just completely full of malice and hatred and anger and pity, which are all great kind of, I think, great emotive reactions. And there's no reason that making work about that needs to be necessarily aggressive in its aesthetics but for me it's quite a good um it's quite a good way to begin making works or begin making more series of works so like with the practice series it was beginning to make these more uh, performative videos and then the same with these series so it's it was um, when I, I put it up in the in the studio it was these two uh, kind of pressings of, of of my hands in earthenware and then a shelf which was displayed at chin height. So this is me imagining punching Mark Crane, who punched me, and then hit me with my own skateboard and all these terribly embarrassing things. But it's, it's just a quite, um, it's a very sort of macho thing, but I, I, I think I, I, I really enjoy making these works. I like imagining all these things that, that I'd you know, maybe want to have in, in a space like that as, a, as a reaction to that, as a personal experience but they are very much separate to my own practice. They're kind of a, a cathartic thing in a way. So then um, the next work I made was installed in Berlin at uh, Rosalux. Uh, so I went out there to, um, to perform as well at the opening. So the, the installation of the work comprised of three main parts. And the first part was this black square, which was with the negative space uh, cut out and then again using Solowitz's letter to Eva Hess or a slightly doctored version of it for the uh, for the text and it was because again like with the the work from Paradise Lost um, when I was screaming the the letter out I'm kind of thinking more laterally about the text and what it actually means and so just like as in like Malevich's Black Square it's now the the most interesting thing about it is now how how much it's decaying and how much it's cracking and so thinking about that the I decided that the, the graphic element would be just the removed text. So obviously it's readable from the street, so that's on the gallery window. But then from the inside of the gallery, it's obviously, you can't, well, you can, if you can read backwards, you can read it. Uh, so then these are some shots from the performance. So the, the actions were break these earthenware shoes. The shoes were my, were a replica of, some, of an old studio, of an old pair of studio shoes that I wore for about five years. So I, I, I wore these studio shoes for, I mean, it's not so important that they're shoes, it's so important that they, they were kind of a, a fallout of my studio practice for five years. So I, I recreated them in earthenware and spray painted them white to kind of return them to this pristine state. So the actions, yeah, so the actions break the shoes, grind them up as much as I could, um, and then blow the, blow the dust and the remnants onto the reverse of the vinyl. So it was a kind of, so the residue is kind of left of these shoes, so they turn from something quite pristine into becoming something quite fragile, and then into become, becoming just a residue or something. So obviously, to see these broken shards, they're just, it's not too important that they're shoes, it's just the fact that they, they were a fallout of my studio practice, and as my studio practice then at the time had just been transplanted, it's just seemed quite appropriate to have them destroyed. And as well, as I was, 
as I was learning a new process working with ceramics, which I found incredibly difficult, it was, it was quite uh, satisfying to, having spent so long trying to figure out how to make these things, it was great just to break them and just grind them up into pieces. It just felt great. So yeah, so the, the performance kind of continued until that, until there were no, um, there were no, there was no more bits to actually blow onto the final. So yeah, so, um, so while I've been in here, I've had mentoring from Andrew Cooper, who's been great for sort of, sort of extracting the ideas from my head in a way, because uh, I get quite, quite in depth into the, the more conceptual side of things, and then I kind of maybe lose track in the way sometimes, but it was, he's been great in kind of drawing these different elements of my practice out, and actually seeing the bigger picture, rather than just seeing spider plants, or just seeing this letter, or just seeing shoes, or whatever, instead of seeing outcomes, and kind of, it's been good just to think more, more laterally about my work. So it's, it's, it's kind of lots of different strands to it that have kind of come out, and that's going to be kind of evolving hopefully throughout the, the rest of the residency. For hopefully finishing off with this film, which is from Singing in the Rain. clips from Singing in the Rain and I'm kind of using that as a starting point for the film because it's quite nice to think about the dubbing and polishing, smoothening, presenting something and then to kind of begin to challenge that or challenge that, uh, that starting point. The, the film is essentially going to be a sketchbook in a way so it's, in a lot of ways it's kind of going to reject completion which is very difficult in terms because it, it will have to eventually have some sort of finished state but maybe that won't be the final form of it maybe it'll just continually be evolving but be, because with with the nature of these things it's there's quite a lot of pressure towards making finished works creating masterpieces or, or some bullshit like that and I, I much prefer having like this residency having time for the work just to gestate and for things to come out of that and for that process to be equal to the, the finished product, if there is a finished product. And so that's why I quite like the idea of working with a sketchbook type thing. So some of the elements from the map that I've been, been working with, so there's the, the chance of the dartboard that Andrew was thinking would be interesting if I think about that in relation to uh, Mendel's Peapod study. So he kind of discovered uh, dominant and recessive genes and then sort of going all throughout the map is, is uh, I quite like that idea of, you know, dominance and dominated. It's, it's quite a nice thing to play with in this thing of dichotomies that always works quite well in, in film, particularly and in video. And so, so this is going to be sort of quite a nice element to it. So allowing chance and allowing chaos and allowing failure, importantly. Because the, the proposal for this film started off as my um, application for the Wales in Venice Invigilator programme, which I eventually ended up not being able to do. In a lot of ways, it's kind of quite good to revisit that because it's the, the, the proposal itself, the, the act of writing a proposal or the, the kind of spark or the, the catalyst for an idea, I think, is something that's massively interesting and massively underrated. Um, I always think for every, for every work that I actually make, there's about 30 or 40 that mm -hmm. I don't make, but just end up a file on my computer. So working with that, it was the original proposal was looking at the, the mystical and the infinite um, it was kind of looking at the a kind of 
because it was going to be in Venice, so you got the, this, you know, the mecca of culture almost. So it was looking at how to find the personal amidst all of this, and how to find a sense of who I am and what my voice is as an artist amongst the chaos. So all of this is kind of working towards a kind of bank of aesthetics and anecdotes and experience and all these different things that are going to begin working into my studio practice, which will then sort of hopefully become a bit more refined, but not too refined because I don't want that. It's this nice kind of internal conflict that keeps it really, really difficult, but really, uh, really interesting at the same time. It, it's, it feels like something that I'm genuinely challenging myself with, which if, if I'm honest in the past, sort of, I think all the time that I was at Bit Studios, I never really challenged myself. I was kind of relying on the studio to kind of provide the work for me. And now that I don't have that anymore, I need to figure out what exactly my voice is. I know what my, I know what the ideas behind my work are, but then it's how to communicate those effectively and how to build that voice up. And so this idea of, of an unfinished film work that's going to actually reject collection will hopefully, hopefully find a way of doing that. So what I'm planning to do as well for a, another part, another work, is to make a wall drawing kind of referencing, but not too much, my influence of this letter from Solowit and Eva Hess. Uh, I'm going to take the Pantone colour of the sunset, I'm going to find a colour that I think, find a colour that I'm happy with, take that colour and then produce a large, well, essentially paint a wall that colour, but in sort of these sweeping motions, so it'll have a kind of tactility to this wall painting. And then drive an axe into that wall as many times as I can until the wall ceases to stand, or until it becomes a problem for the building, if it does become a problem for the building. So yeah, so there's, there's a lot of works in, in progress, uh, there's a lot of ideas that are still being developed, but the, the best thing about it, I think, is just having this space where I am an artist and nothing else, and that is so refreshing. Because not that, not that I don't enjoy the, the curatorial work or, or, my, or like my paid work or freelance work or anything like that, it all kind of feeds into it. But it's very rare to have time and space to be able to actually dedicate to, the, to my practice, which is the most important thing to me. But yeah, so there's, there's kind of a lot of things that I've been playing with. So I, I, when, I, when I closed the studio, I did a massive call of all these god-awful portraits I did in the university. And, it was, and it's this really nice thing about, um, again, transition. So I was thinking a lot about that and how to maybe influence that in my work as well and sort of rehashing old work and documentation from old work and what I can kind of learn from that and how that can feed into making the voice of, or making my voice. And then as well how it can um, reference, my, reference my political standpoint, reference my personal standpoint, my emotional standpoint, and then as well sort of my ideological standpoint. Um, so yeah, literally a sketchbook of notes and ideas, but with the idea of uh, devotion kind of at the absolute heart of it.